Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. As I told you last week, I'm looking forward this week to spending some time with my uh, family. February, a little bit of a tradition for us on that. We typically try to just sort of get away from work, get away from school. Kids have some time off in school. Maybe yours do there as well. And we kind of use uh, this time for a little family time. So we're looking forward to that. But we're also looking forward to what I think is going to be a great week's worth of shows. You know, I told you about this on Friday. Tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday with our Dog Nation Daily Space, we're going to do something I don't think we've you know quite ever really done before. We are going to have our first ever Dog Nation Roundtable, which I think is going to be uh, a, a ton of fun. Really excited about that. Bringing the normal guests that you kind of hear on a regular basis, the the Jeff Sintels, the Connor Rileys, the Mike Griffiths, kind of bringing all them together and kind of having a conversation, almost like cover four style. Remember that old show we used to do? Kind of in a cover four style, kind of talking and kicking around some ideas. That's tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. I think you're going to really like that. We're really looking forward to this. Today, a little bit more of a typical Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We do have a special guest joining us later on. Kaylee Manziel is back for Kaylee's Corner. We're looking forward to that. Uh, but pretty much everything else is kind of as you've come to expect it to be, including John Stinchcomb here in a moment there as well. And I want to begin today, if you don't mind, with this. I'll be honest with you. I had almost like kind of put it out of my mind, even though it was only a few weeks ago. I kind of almost put it out of my mind, the hire that Georgia made when they brought in Travars Robinson as co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach for UGA. And I think the point that we sort of made at the time was that this was one of those things that kind of demonstrated the overall level of competency for a coach like Kirby Smart, that you want a competent coach. You want a coach who understands how to run an administration. And Georgia's competence, I think, was demonstrated through all of this and the fact that most of us didn't even really know that Georgia had a need for a co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach. For all we knew, on that one particular weekend, you know, back earlier in the winter, that was Will Muschamp's job, and Muschamp was content to continue doing that. What we found out was later on, okay, that Muschamp wants to step away, and therefore Travaris Robbins, one of the biggest hires that you could make, was going to step in and, and be the replacement for that. It was a kind of a home run style hire, even though most of us weren't really quite aware that, that Georgia even had that job open to be high. And I had reason to kind of think back on, on this over the course of the weekend a little bit on the Friday afternoon, which we recorded the show, because that hire of T-Rob is getting a little bit of praise. And I, I don't know, this kind of caught me off guard a little bit, not to say that I didn't expect it to be well-received or, or, or get some positive attention. But the other day, 24-7 Sports, the uh, website that you're pro- probably familiar with, maybe familiar with, they were ranking the top 10 coordinator hires of the offseason thus far. And in doing so, they had Chip Kelly going as head coach at UCLA at Ohio State as number one, which you know we'll have some thoughts on that throughout the week, I guess, and, and I'm sure as the season gets closer. So Kelly leaves the head coaching ranks to go to Ohio State. That's number one. They actually had T-Rob coming to Georgia as number two on that list. And I don't know. There's so much news around here from time to time. You have a tendency to maybe you know kind of fixate for a minute or two on something, just sort of move on to the next thing. I think seeing what 24-7 had sort of said to kind of hype up the uh, T-Rob thing here a little bit this week has kind of caused me to reconsider what it is I like about the Travaris Robinson hire as Georgia's co-defensive coordinator. So before we get into the other stuff of the week, let me read you a little bit of what uh, 24-7 had to say and then want to talk more about it. Ryder says that Kirby Smart wasted no time in swooping Travaris Robinson from the Alabama staff after Nick Saban announced his retirement. 
regarded as one of the best defensive back coaches in college football. Robinson will serve as the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach for Georgia in 2024. He taught 17 years of coaching experience, including five as the defensive coordinator at South Carolina from 2016 through 2020. Robinson could essentially be the next defensive coordinator in waiting for the Bulldogs with Glenn Schumann consistently being listed as a potential head coaching candidate in college football. We think a lot of that's really true. First of all, as we said before, the speed with which Kirby made this happen before we even really knew that Georgia had a need there, you already had T-Rob in place. That demonstrates something about Georgia. It is certainly possible that Robinson could be, I guess, the next defensive coordinator at UGA. We would believe that Glenn Schumann wants to be a head coach. We see his name mentioned that way all the time. There's also these sort of weird NFL rumors that kind of pop up with uh, Schumann from time to time. But if Schumann does look to make the move, then uh, T-Rob's sort of in place. You may remember the little bit of controversy that existed around uh, uh, Robinson and really Alabama caused by Lane Kiffin when they were getting ready to play. You know, Kiffin sort of <laughs> spilled the tea that he didn't think Kevin Steele was the actual defensive coordinator at Alabama. That was actually Travars Robinson that Kiffin thought that was running all that. They were preparing as if it was T-Rob, Kiffin said. Maybe that was a, a little bit of an aid to his defensive coordinator, Pete Golding, who perhaps didn't leave Alabama on the best terms, or maybe that was just Kiffin being honest. Either way, at least one coach in the SEC thought that T-Rob was kind of heavily involved in what Alabama was doing a year ago anyway, so he does bring that experience to Georgia. And I think when you see 24-7 saying what it says, well, I think you're kind of reminded of, yeah, this was a really good coaching hire. We sort of treat this as a big deal for recruiting, and it is. But when we bring on John Stinchcomb a little bit later on, the other thing we're going to kind of get into is, you know, what Robinson brings from a coaching standpoint, his experience, his track record, being in Alabama, being the guy on the defensive side for Will Muschamp, South Carolina teams. What does he bring to the table from that standpoint? I think that's going to be uh, uh, good stuff with John Stinchcomb here coming up in a moment. And the other point I'd make about T-Rob here, just, just briefly, is that in addition to making Georgia better, it almost certainly made Alabama worse. And in the zero-sum game of the SEC, that is a good thing. Now, I'm kind of snarky from time to time and a little spiteful, and I, I do get all of that, but this is not me trying to be funny or anything like that, that you do want to hurt your rivals and your competitors when you can. And the other day we uh, heard from Paul Feinbaum, who was you know kind of making the rounds and doing the interview, and he talked about how he's troubled. I think that was the word he used, troubled by Kalen DeBoer and what went down with Ryan Grubb, the thought that Grubb was going to be the offense winner, and now he's not. And there's a little bit of a, well, what did he know? When did he know it about that? And was DeBoer somehow being dishonest with his own players? But there's also just sort of the haphazard deal of, okay, you had a hard time sort of getting an offensive coordinator in place, and that's one of the most important hires you're going to make. And the guy you thought was going to be it's now not it. And there's just a little bit of a haphazard nature to that. Well, the beginning of DeBoer's tenure – as Alabama coach, you had some of that too with the thought of you know T-Rob being the one kind of definitely SEC known commodity, and you lost him before you even got here. When you you know had a chance to try to you know get him to be your defensive coordinator, you thought you might you know be able to steal him back from Georgia, and then you couldn't. That the true value of uh, of Robinson at Georgia is not just what he does for Georgia on the field, but the fact not having him in Tuscaloosa makes Alabama worse, and so. I do think there's a nice opportunity here if you're a Georgia fan to look at what 24-7 sports says about the T-Rob hire. 
ranking and among the best coordinator hires that have been made over the course of this offseason. It is just one of seemingly a million things that have happened for Georgia so far in the calendar year of 2024, but I, I do believe it is a pretty big deal. And I'm glad to see 24-7 showing a little bit of love because I think it is a tension that's probably well-deserved. Now, with that said, let me shift gears and talk about something completely different for a moment. Speaking of websites, talking about Georgia, the folks over at Pro Football Focus said something really interesting about Carson Beck the other day. Now, one of the things we're going to do tomorrow as we kick off our Dog Nation roundtable as a part of Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia is talk a lot about the outlook for Carson Beck. And spoiler alert, that outlook is sky high. Could be the number one overall pick, could win the Heisman Trophy. There are a lot of coulds in the future for Carson Beck. He literally could accomplish just about anything and came back to Georgia with those types of things in mind. We all get that. And yet there is at least one aspect of the praise that you're currently hearing for Carson Beck that I probably want to pump the brakes on at least just a little bit. Let me read this to you from Pro Football Focus, who's using his own analytics and the sort of math nerd type stuff here. Uh, it's scouting, you know, you know, whatnot. This is what the writer says as they rank Carson Beck as the top returning quarterback in college football. We don't necessarily disagree with that. But what the writer says here is it's rare for a program to lose a two-time national champion quarterback and improve under center. But that's precisely what Georgia did by going from Stetson Bennett to Carson Beck. Pro Football Focus goes on to say while the redshirt junior didn't win a ring in 2023, he finished as the fourth most valuable quarterback in the nation, according to PFF's win above average metric. The three above him were all Heisman finalists who are now heading to the NFL, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., and Jaden Daniels. Beck's 91.5 overall PFF grade and 90.8 PFF passing grade were also fourth among FBS signal callers. So none of that is in dispute. The Beck was one of the best quarterbacks in America last year. Any quarterback you might justifiably had better than him has pretty much gone on to the NFL. Therefore, Beck has a chance to be the top guy. QB1 for all of college football this year. Carson Beck certainly has a chance to be that. And there is nothing about Beck's 2023 performance that I dislike at all. Everything about what Beck brings to the table I think is uh, truly laudable. I thought he had a great year, and I am very, very optimistic about what Carson can be for the upcoming season. As I said a moment ago, we're going to talk more about just how true that is on tomorrow's show. But there's one aspect on this i got to kind of pump the brakes on just a little bit. You know, the notion that he's already surpassed Stetson Bennett. I believe from an NFL draft standpoint, he's probably a better prospect uh, PFF's obviously citing its own metrics here. Honestly, that's their business. I, 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 you know, probably not smart enough to tabulate all of that data. But what my own eyes tell me is there is kind of one final frontier for Beck as a quarterback, something that Stetson Minute proved to be very good at, and that's being your absolute best and the absolute biggest games you're going to play. I'll give my colleague Jeff Sintel credit for this. I remember Jeff used to talk about the notion of stage games the kind of games in which when it's all said and done, they take a big tractor and they roll out of stage to the middle of the field and they give out a trophy for an MVP on the stage, on the field, after the game. Those significant postseason-type games, the SEC championships, the college football playoffs, the national championships, that is where Bennett was typically at his best, and he was typically at his best as those games wore on. The later, the better. Big-time throws in the fourth quarter, big-time throws against top-flight competition, big-time performances in the kinds of games that go down in the record books for UGA in terms of the most significant in this program's history, that's where Carson Beck was at his best. Not to say that, uh, that, that 
I should say that's where Stetson Bennett was at his best. Not to say that Carson Beck, you know, can't be just as good. We don't know that yet. We've only seen one of those type of games for Carson Beck. It was an SEC championship. We don't put that loss on Beck necessarily, but it's certainly not quite the sample size of distinguished play and big-time performances that earned Stetson Bennett the reputation that he had. So draft scouts may say their thing. Pro football focus, math nerd types, they may say their thing. But ultimately, quarterback is just a position that's sort of judged by the big plays and the big moments. And for now, Stetson Bennett still has that nod. In fact, for a lot of people, Stetson Bennett is viewed as the best quarterback in Georgia program history. Near the end of his time at Georgia at the conclusion of the 2022 season, Bennett you know, talked about that. The idea that some recognize him as the best who's ever played this position at UGA, perhaps that's also a moniker that Carson Beck may have for himself when his career is done. This is what Bennett said, though, about that accolade at the conclusion of the 2022 season. I don't. I mean, there's so many different variables that go in. You know, scheme, players around you. Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've been with Monk for three years. Uh, we, we we brought back pretty much the entire core of our offense from last year, so we were all clicking. So, I don't know. We had a really good offense. Uh, I, it makes me proud, um, you know, of what I've accomplished. Uh, when I hear that, because it means I've done some things right, but I don't know if it's accurate or not. You know, we've had Murray. I grew up watching Murray and Stafford and, you know, Shock and Green. And, and you know, who's to say? Those those dudes were all, I mean, amazing. So let's be clear here. You know, there's certainly nothing to knock about Carson Beck's first year as a starting quarterback for Georgia. It's simply establishing the right measuring stick for how he'll prove himself in 2024. He can be great at PFFs, what do you call it, wins above replacement metric or whatever they're talking about. He can be great in that category, but the thing that matters most is how many touchdowns do you throw in an SEC championship? You know, you know, how great of a performance do you have in a college football playoff? Can you bring home another national championship with it Stetson Bennett did? Part of the reason why Bennett is revered is because of the performance he had in the biggest possible games. Carson Beck has come back to Georgia for that reason. He told us all in Miami there is a degree of unfinished business that he sees in his future year. That's why he's here, so he can establish for himself the same legacy in big games that Stetson Bennett made famous. And We honestly believe, given the talent that Beck possesses, he'll have a very good chance to do just that. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Hello Window and Door of Georgia. Glad to have you with us today, no matter how you get to us. We're live on video normally, not quite live today, uh, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, similar situation, pre-recorded, but as they used to say on like the old Olympics broadcast, we're plausibly live. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know exactly how that's supposed to uh, go, but uh, I would say that we're pretty close to the real thing. We recorded this on Friday afternoon. We recorded the other shows last week, and they're going to be really, really good. So we'll get to all of that. And of course, a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia, who make it all happen for us here today. Energy efficient windows and doors. That is what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about. Making your home feel good on the inside. Cozy and warm when it's cold outside. That draft, that dreary, sometimes it gets rainy and cold and the, the wind's whipping around. You want to keep all that junk on the outside. You don't want to feel that draft on the inside of your house. Well, the Pella windows, the Pella doors, prevent that from happening it's time for you to go check this out for yourself stop by then see them they're experiencing it right there in Duluth you can put your hands on the product and feel what makes it better the substantial just construction of it all and you just can really recognize that this really is the best possible uh, collection of windows and the best possible entry doors you could possibly put there on your home it's the best way to take care of what's probably the most important asset and that is your own home it looks better on the outside great curb appeal 
obviously uh, can possibly positively benefit your resale value. And you kind of know the drill with all of this by now. Pella Window and Door of Georgia, we say they're viewed to be the best. And between now and the end of the month, February 29th, you can take advantage of a great offer. 10% off Pella projects and 0% APR for 36 months. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to visit the website, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Just do me a huge favor. Tell them that BA from Dog Nation Daily sent you to them and that I said they'd take good care of you because I know they will. Uh, you want to take good care of your home? It's Pella Window and Door of Georgia. They'll take good care of you too because Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we've got John Stinchcomb coming up in a moment. He's viewed to be the best in our eyes. And in addition to that, it's Kaylee Manziel later on for a Kaylee's Corner. We did this a few days ago. Well, I thought it went really well. It's kind of fun. So we're going to get to that here coming up in just a little bit as well. But before any of that, though, let's go around the doghouse here for a moment. And I want to talk to you about what we're starting to see out there with some of these early mock drafts for Georgia Bulldogs. I have a very homerish view of the NFL draft. I just want to see Georgia players get drafted high. I enjoy that. I especially enjoyed the last couple of years because the first round of the NFL draft has been kind of the culmination of our Dog Nation cruise. This is not an ad. I'm just telling the truth that, you know, the last big event of the cruise is the first round of the NFL draft. We always get together. There's always a lot of hooping and hollering when the Georgia players get selected. It's a lot of fun. And when you see guys like, say, Lewis Seen in the 2022 NFL draft, kind of slipping to that first round, you love that. And when you see the way in which there was so much chatter last year about the guys and, and you know, who went where and the fact that, you know, Nolan Smith gets in that first round, you know, all, all it was just all a really fun thing. And I get the impression we're going to have a little bit of that here with uh, this year's draft there, too, where – you clearly know that Brock Bauer is going to go in the first round. There's no doubt about that. And then for those of us who are gathered on the Dog Nation cruise to watch this or you gather wherever you might be, there's going to be a little bit of sort of hoping that goes on after that. And you anticipate hearing Kamari Laster's name called. He was mentioned in the first round of uh, of this ESPN mock draft that's out now by Field Yates along with Brock Bowers. And the other name that comes up there is Amarius Mims. And – I was a little bit surprised. I'm going to talk to John Stinchcomb more about this here in a moment. I was a little bit surprised by the placement of Mims in this draft. They kind of have him going 31 overall, kind of almost near the back end of the first round, barely in the first round. The Lassiter thing, I've been a little bit more conditioned for, whether I think it's fair or not. Honestly, I, I think that Kamari Laster should be a first-round pick, but you know, but you've kind of been conditioned to the idea that he might be a little bit of a tweener prospect and maybe wants to showcase his athleticism and his running ability, things like that at Georgia's Pro Day to fully cement that. Mims was a guy, though, I assume would probably be, you know, kind of a solid first round pick, middle first round, if not a little bit higher than that. But uh, Field Yates from ESPN kind of had him back end of the first round. And I'm going to, you know, give my colleague Connor Riley some credit for this because he actually called this way back at the beginning of the year that the one knock on Mims as a potential first-round pick in this year's draft is the fact he hasn't played very much football. And, you know, this was even more true after kind of dealing with some injury here this year. What Yates writes about Mims is is that he could be a potential immediate upgrade at right tackle for the team that Yates has him being taken by the San Francisco 49ers, which is just, you know, mock draft fiction, but nonetheless. Um, and then he goes on to say Mims might need a little time to develop with roughly just 800 college uh, snaps to his name So in his career. He says that's the equivalent of about one season but with a massive frame, long wingspan, and unfairly effortless movement skills. 
he is he is worth investing in and developing. And that's honestly what I hope proves to be true here because honestly what I've seen from Amarius Mims, I don't pretend to be a scout, I don't pretend to be like a former coach or anything like that, but obviously we would all say that when Mims was in for the Georgia offensive line, there was an offensive line playing at an incredibly high level. It was dominant, and Mims was a big reason for that. And, you know, for a guy like this, you don't want injury being held against him. It's one of the things I don't always love with the pre-draft process is we seem to fixate on, like, the one negative. Oh, you know, he was you know banged up a little bit, and so therefore you know, you're going to have some skepticism about the player. But it seems like every one of these draft prospects – there's some level of skepticism around them about something. In the case of Mims, that's what it's going to be. I think that Amarius is also a guy that's a little bit easier for me to root for because he chose to stay at Georgia. Could have left and chose to stay at UGA. Uh, felt a really strong family bond. And I, I would say that that Georgia was rewarded by his decision to stay because uh, when he was stepping into a starting role for UGA, they were you know, certainly a much stronger team because of him. You're also kind of left to wonder, well, if he doesn't get banged up, that injury doesn't occur, how much better could Georgia have been this season? And what could have, you know, doesn't leave the SEC championship game against Alabama, of course. You know, how how might that game have been just a little bit different? Those will never be a question we'll be able to answer, but we'll certainly be watching very closely to see, you know, do guys like Mims and Laster make their way into the first round of the NFL draft? Can Georgia get those three first-round picks? Kind of the number we sort of expect, sort of the baseline number for Georgia as of late. It sounds like there could be some late Thursday night drama on that first round in April to see if Georgia actually can match that number for this year's draft. We'll make that around the doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Uh, before we're done with the program, as we said before, Kaylee Manziel, she's got a Kaylee's Corner for us coming up. A lot of hype around uh, one of the big-name kind of newcomers to the SEC. We'll touch on some of that. But for now, the outlook for Mims, exactly what Georgia's getting in Travaris Robinson you know, how much Carson Beck needs to prove his sort of clutch gene to match what uh, Stetson Bennett brought to the table at Georgia. All those topics and more on the table as we welcome in John Stinchcomb today here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, great pleasure to speak to John Stinchcomb, especially when we're talking about things we were just discussing, guys in the NFL draft, offensive line in particular. So Field Yates, ESPN.com, in his first mock draft. We've officially reached mock draft season. It's that time of year. Uh, once again, you got three dogs in the first round. That's not necessarily a huge surprise. Uh, Brock Bowers, everybody will have him there. Kamari Laster, you love seeing him uh, generating that first-round conversation. And, John, as I was kind of mentioning a little bit earlier, the the surprise for me is that Amarius Mims, who I kind of think, now listen, I'm not a scout, I'm not an analyst, so my opinion's perhaps not worth all that much, but I sort of think of him as like a surefire, obvious, you know, first-rounder. But in the ESPN mock draft we were just discussing – yeah, you know, he is sort of that back end, kind of in the 30s there, and you know perhaps a little bit of a lack of experience being cited here. So let me lean on your expertise here for a moment. Like, how first round ready do you think uh, Amarius Mims perhaps is right now? Well, I think if you're talking about Amarius as a first round draft pick, it's based on where his ceiling is, and his ceiling is so high that teams are willing to look past the fact that he doesn't have a big body of work. It wasn't like he was a three-year starter at Georgia and, you know, you've seen him against all the top talent. You know, this past year, the brief time that we've got to see him, 
he was elite. And I think that's what makes him a first rounder. The The downside is when you're looking at first round guys is there's just such a lack of experience. You don't have that pedigree that we've seen from other players. Now, uh, I think a similar case was made for Broderick this time last year. Yeah. You're going, I, li- I like the upside, but we just haven't seen a lot of them. And Amarius falls in that same boat with a, a broader skill set. I mean, he's a bigger man. You can't coach a kid to be the size that Amarius is um, and still be able to move the way he does. This may be a dumb question, but when you talk about, not you, but when someone were to talk about Amarius Mims, lack of experience, is is this about, okay, he hasn't played enough, so therefore he's not as trained as he could be to go be successful? Or is this he hasn't played all that much, and so therefore we haven't been able to properly evaluate if the stellar play that he has at times shown is the kind of consistent way that he's going to approach week-to-week, game-to-game? Is this more about of a lack of opportunity to evaluate or a lack of opportunity to fully develop? Yeah, I think there's a couple things for Amarius specifically is – one, why why has there been uh, a lack of opportunity for us to see you play? I, I, obviously, the injuries was a little bit of the case this year, but uh, you know I think you can at least try to find answers for the question. Is it's not a desire thing, is it? It's not um, uh, a, a want to be out on the field. I think it's also just an ability for an evaluator to see his full body. I, early on, you watched Amarius play. And he looked like he had all the tools, just hadn't really um, found a way to maximize them yet. And what we've seen in this past season was, well, he's figured it out now. The only issue is it was just a handful of games. So as a scout, as an evaluator, if you're presenting a player, um, when you talk to the rest of the coaches as and, and everyone in that evaluation room, it's going to be – Here's what we know about this player. And for Amarius, his ceiling is super high. It, it won't take long for you to say he's got a skill set athletically and, and physically that uh, is unmatched. Now, we need to answer some of these questions, and I'm sure that that's what they're working with. They're, they're talking to Stacy and they're talking to Kirby and finding out what's behind the scenes you know, what they're getting from him and what we know, at least we think we know, is that he would be a solid addition to any locker room. It's not like he's been, you know, a me first guy and you have these questions. You're going, "Ah, I just don't know, um, you know, what his motives were at times. I think it's more of just these evaluators are trying to figure out exactly what they're getting when you take, you know, a first-round pick is a, a high commodity, and you've seen in, in years past a number of folks that miss, and you, you just have to do your dil- due diligence to make sure that you're not one of those teams that uh, misses out on an opportunity to get a player that could really change the trajectory of your program. We were making a point about Carson Beck a little earlier um you know about you know kind of how like a website like pro football focus views him here at the moment we're going to talk about back actually a pretty good bit here this week and obviously i think the sky's the limit for carson and i really like a lot of what i saw from him in 2023 but i would stop short of saying what like the analytics side is saying here of well based on their metrics back has already surpassed his predecessor at georgia stetson bennett uh in one line of thinking that's probably a pretty easy case to make 
But, John, I think there's a lot of what Bennett brought to the table for Georgia that can't necessarily be measured by stats. I do think this is important for Carson. When we have the discussion of this is a guy that could be not just a first-round pick, he could be number one overall. This is a guy who could be not just a Heisman finalist the way that uh, Stetson Bennett was. He could actually win the award for the first time uh, for a Georgia player since Herschel Walker did that in 1982. That like uh, Every conceivable level of achievement is there for Carson Beck for the upcoming season. But I believe in order to fully unlock all of that potential, John, I do believe that Carson needs to show a little bit of what Stetson Bennett showed, which was that penchant for making big plays in big games. I know that clutch can be sort of an overused word in sports conversations like the one that we're having. But gosh, uh, John, Stetson was clutch. He just took his level of play to a different place in the games that mattered most. And I'm not saying that Carson didn't do that in 2023. We really only saw the one opportunity. Maybe he wasn't playing with a full complement of offensive pieces that day or what, but Stetson did show big moments in big games. And for Carson Beck in 2024, I would really say that's the kind of final frontier for him to really kind of show what he is as a quarterback. Where would you come in on a discussion like that? Yeah, I'm going to use the word intimate. So because uh, not in the romantic sense, but we have knowledge. We know we're familiar with both of these players and how they've played. We've watched every snap that both took um, as Georgia players. Different from a national evaluator, somebody that's going to, you know, watch three or four games per player, get a feel for them, look at their stats. That's a different type of evaluation. What we know from Stetson is in those games, there's no one that you wanted to have the ball more than Stetson. Now, it was earned because I, I can distinctly remember getting texts at halftime of that first national championship game where folks were like, hey, we need to try something else, right? So it was. it's always been a part of the conversation with Stetson. He never looked the part, right? It wasn't – he didn't pass the eye test. He's not going to be the all-bus team that – the first guy off, and you think, wow, he looks like a football player. That wasn't Stetson. Carson fits that mold a little bit more. So for the national evaluators that are projecting college players into the NFL, the eye test matters. And part of that is you look at, oh, the frame. Well, he's got a bigger frame, and he fits the mold of what we found uh, to be successful quarterbacks in the NFL this is what they look like. Carson looks a little bit more like that. For us, for you and I, and some Georgia fans, we know that in those big-time moments and in those games, Stetson always was clutch. And I think, uh, given the opportunity, Carson can certainly prove that he is equally as clutch, uh, but we have not seen not nearly as often as what we saw from Stetson. So I, I understand it from a national evaluation perspective, but for those of us that are, are Georgia fans and we've seen all the snaps, it reminds me of, you know, Jamari Salyer when, when he was coming out, that he had, uh, he had those opportunities and earned, uh, for us, we knew that he was going to be a great, yeah. uh, should be a great player at the next level. And, um, you know, he goes to the Chargers and, and was a cornerstone for them, a fixture across that offensive line. So, you know, it's it's one of those situations that where I think because we're so familiar with the program and these players, we may see things a little bit differently than 
some of the national evaluators. Let me, let me do a follow-up on this because in your college career, you play with a guy like David Green, who's one of the most prolific winners in college football history in the NFL. You play with Drew Brees, who I think will be remembered as one of the all-time greats. So you know what high-level quarterback play looks like at each of the levels that you played at. What do you think of the, I guess, the premise of a discussion like this where you know, you would look at any quarterback, whether it be Carson Beck or someone like that, to say, okay, it's great that you looked the part, it's great that you've got the stats, but there is this thing of can you do it when it gets hard in the games that matter most? And, you know, you think about this in, like, say, Super Bowls and things like that where, like, Dan Marino, for instance, to go back to our childhood, it gets held against him that he didn't win a Super Bowl or, you know, whatever the counterexample to that might be there as well, that there is that ultimate stat for quarterbacks of winning and playing well in the big games. How much do you buy into that concept as a premise in a discussion like that? Because we do treat quarterbacks differently than we treat players other positions. Yeah, I, I always find it almost laughable where folks were like, well, Dan Marino can't be one of the best quarterbacks because he didn't win. He plays one of 53 uh, he, uh, players on that team. I mean, he's is one of the best to ever do it. And you're going to critique him and knock him down because of the team around him. Now, and uh, I don't know that this really carries over to Georgia because you're both guys, Stetson and, and Carson, have been surrounded by elite talent. And I do think there are some folks that just know how to win. And part of that is uh, creating synergy across a locker room and being a part of um, – success means you have leaders that that can take you there and i think that's part of the evaluation but uh it really is a factor of of who you're around and you know for carson he's got an opportunity to to show that he's got the skills uh when surrounded by elite talent to win those games and so i i think it's a both and situation where uh, both can be true, both you know, unique individual talent and being surrounded by others that play at a high level uh, factor into a, to a player's ability, one, to be evaluated, and two, to find success. Let me squeeze in one more thing, if you don't mind. We were talking a little earlier about Travaris Robinson, and I thought it was kind of interesting to see 24-7 sports kind of touted him as the second-best coordinator hire of the offseason, obviously a co-DC at Georgia because Glenn Schumann's in place, but he is here as a replacement for Will Muschamp. And, John, the news running here happens so fast that sometimes you sort of forget stuff. It sort of feels like T-Rob was hired 12 years ago, but obviously you know, this did just happen, and it is, I think, a big addition for Georgia. Someone like me has a tendency to view stuff like this through the lens of, ooh, the relationships, the recruiting chops, the players that you can bring in. And I do believe that's a, obviously a big part of what a guy like that is is here to do. But I am also curious to sort of to hear from you, what would you like to see a, a guy like T-Rob provide in the coaching part of this, the on-field development part of this, working with those safeties, you know, having a voice in the defensive game planning overall? What kind of role could you see a guy like that playing in the actual just – sort of on-field defensive coaching aspect of all this? Well, obviously he's coming from a high-performing program, and it's it's one that probably did things a little bit different, both in approach and, and scheme, schematically. Um, so I think it's good to have new, fresh voices that haven't been in the same echo chambers. I think no matter where you're at in life, if you have folks that are that – are, performing at a high level and can, you know, challenge you, make you see things differently, 
at least be able to explain why you're doing things the way you are and, and possibly add new ways to do it. Or, you know, there's always different paths to get to that same location. So I think what it could look like for this defense is just a fresh voice. We've seen that in the past um, just with the other coaches that have been around and um, even those that have left Georgia, spent time in other programs, and they come back with fresh ideas and fresh approaches. It's a good thing. It's a healthy mix of, you know, so we want continuity. We like the fact that, you know, it's not learning an entirely new system. But if there's someone that can come in, has done it at a high level and challenge us in ways either to refine what we're doing already or offer a new approach, that's good for everyone. And obviously he, you know, his, his, his chops as a recruiter have been uh, well recognized, but I think the opportunity for him to express as a coach uh, what this defense can do is, is something that Georgia fans should be really excited about. John, I love the conversation. I'm glad we're able to have that. I certainly appreciate your opinions and all this. And by the way, kind enough to join us even when we're not uh, live here today. Uh, always such a fresh perspective on Georgia football. We appreciate that. I hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to talking to you again here soon on uh, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia. Always enjoy it, B.A. Go dogs. Yes, sir. Take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Really, really good stuff from John Stinchcomb. Love his insight on all those topics, including obviously when you have a chance to talk about Marius Mims, what he could be for the NFL draft. Someone like John Stinchcomb knows that so well. That is really valuable information that John is able to provide us. We're not done with great guests in today's show. Coming up in a moment, we'll turn the tables. Normally it's me who asks the questions around here, but uh, we'll give Kaylee Manziel the keys to the vehicle and let her drive for a while and let her ask me questions a part of Kaylee's Corner. This is something we did a couple weeks ago. We enjoyed it. We're going to try to make this a little bit more of a reoccurring theme uh, and thing here around Dog Nation, Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll do that here coming up in a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let's get you ready for the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. You know, with me taking time off here this week, it is a reminder that, hey, you know, we're not too far away from that Dog Nation cruise. Coming up April, leaving Port Canaveral, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, going to NASA on the Bahamas. Uh, what an experience that's going to be. Jessica Slater, of course, great travel agent who uh, helps us plan it all. You know, we said, listen, we're going to do a Dog Nation cruise. We need a travel agent we can trust. Royal Caribbean says, well, you can trust Jessica Slater. And so she is your ticket to get to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, and all of the things that are special about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. On board Allure of the Seas, it's a Dog Nation cruise bigger and better than it's ever been before because it's our first time being on an Oasis-class ship, one of the largest uh, class of cruise ships at sea, and a wonderful, unbelievable experience, especially restaurants, bars, and lounges, uh, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, and even more of those specially-themed Dog Nation events. You love those. We're doing more of those this time around just because, hey, you got to step up your game. Uh, year, you know, another year of the Dog Nation cruise, make it bigger and it's better than it ever before. And obviously hundreds of you already planning on joining us. And we still got room for a little bit more there as well and a little bit of time to get you there, but you got to act right now on all of that. So please give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her jslater at dreamvacations.com and you can find the website royaldogs.com. 
and you can learn all about that. All right, before we go and get Kaylee Manziel as a part of a Kaylee's Corner, let's cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean here for a moment. With the Tom Fornelli, CBS Sports, had an interesting article the other day about Nico Iamaleva, the new quarterback at Tennessee, and the hype that's building around him, and the fact that really it's Nico at the center of a lot of the NCAA investigation, the stuff like that that's going on. Probably no fault of Nico's necessarily. He just was the guy that allegedly got the NIL payments and all that kind of stuff that sort of generated the uh, the conversation. But Tom Fornelli, the writer, wanted to look to see, okay, what about Iamaleva as the player? And what Tom writes at CBSSports.com is, long story short, there's reason to be excited if you're a Tennessee fan. The talent was obvious, even if the game plan was ex- uh, expectedly simplified. He means in the bowl game against Iowa. Still, Iamaleva made his first career start against an Iowa defense that strived on confusing quarterbacks and forcing turnovers for years. There were mistakes and missed opportunities, but Iamaleva didn't turn the ball over and showed the kind of playmaking ability that can help win games. I'll be honest about this. I think we're going to talk more about this with our Dog Nation roundtable throughout the week, at least in one of our conversations. I have no problem with Tennessee fans being excited about Nico. I think the bowl performance was enough to to justify that. You know, every team kind of has something they want to sell over the course of the offseason. And for Tennessee, their reason for selling optimism is what Nico can be a quarterback, certainly better than what Joe Milton was. I didn't think the bowl performance was great. I thought he was much better on the ground with his legs than he was through the air with his arm. I also think the idea of the Iowa defense, you know, we've seen some of this uh, recently where a lot of these Big Ten teams who have the really stellar defensive numbers, sometimes you end up discovering, oh, well, that may have been because they were playing on a week-to-week basis Big Ten offense. But I'm not here to poo-poo this. I think that I think that Nico certainly has reason to give Tennessee fans optimism. I don't think everything that Tom Fornelli says here is misplaced, but I do believe demonstrating that you can be the. I mean, look, the bottom line is is that Hendon Hooker was actually pretty good in 2022, and you can say what you want to about Joe Milton, or you can say what you want to about you know a lot of the things related to Tennessee, but Hooker, when healthy, had a very very good season, and I think the issue is. Can Josh Heupel replicate that with someone like Nico Amaleva? And if he can, how come we didn't hear more about Nico during the season when perhaps he had a chance to get more of experience so the bowl game didn't feel like quite such a small sample size? I saw where Steve Spurrier the other day kind of making his rounds was talking a little bit about Florida State. It's kind of funny. He was talking about you know Seminoles back in the 90s. Obviously, that's the in-state rival. They were an independent team back then. And he basically said something to the effect of, you know, back then they didn't have anybody looking over their sh- uh, shoulders about the rules. Basically saying it was hard to recruit against Florida State because they were cheating. And this sort of feels like one of those sort of old classic Spurrier barbs kind of, you know, taking a jab there at, uh, at, at Florida State. And I'm sure that kind of stirs the pot down there in the Sunshine State a little bit. It's also, for me, a reminder of this, though, is that it's still, even after all these years, well removed from his coaching career and, frankly, kind of even kind of removed from – you, know, you don't see as much of Spurrier in public maybe as you once did. But even with that, it's still very easy for a Spurrier line to go viral. It's got a big personality that gets a lot of attention. And isn't it funny by contrast how little of that you ever hear from Billy Napier? Just look at this and keep your eye on this. And, you, you know, Florida fans might be well within their rights to say, well, it's not Napier's job to create, you know, memorable, you know, quips. It's his job to coach the football team. But I would also kind of point out that, Having a big, strong personality and sort of a level of magnetism is kind of a part of being a college coach. And judge for yourself over the course of a year how many times that Steve Spurrier gets attention and kind of goes viral, so to speak, for something he says and how infrequently that happens for Billy Napier. Napier, even going into year three of a job, is just sort of a non-entity in a way that someone like Steve Spurrier would kind of find unimaginable. You know, Spurrier just commands attention because he does have, you know, kind of a sort of a humorous personality, even if it wasn't always Georgia fans' cups of tea. 
but in the case of uh, in the case of Billy Napier, generating that generating that same level of excitement and attention, he's just sort of found that very difficult to do. He's not winning games, but he's also probably not winning over hearts and minds of of, of Florida fans, and that may be one of the reasons why he's on thin ice here a little bit. A couple other stories, real quick. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, Alabama and its search for a offensive coordinator, finally settling on kind of a pair of guys within the coaching staff, including Nick Sheridan, who's going to call the plays there. The unspoken part of this, though, was the rumor mill about the fact that Kirby Moore might leave Missouri and go to Alabama and be offensive quarter, that never really materialized. And you read a lot of the stuff coming out of Columbia, Missouri, the last few days. There are a lot of Missouri fans who are really happy about that, and perhaps with good reason. You know, Eli Drinkwitz is a capable offensive mind, could be the play caller, but he wanted to sort of step into that sort of CEO role as head coach and wanted to give that space over to Kirby Moore. And I'd say in 2023, the results were pretty good. And anytime you can kind of hold on to your offensive coordinator, especially if you're Missouri and you can prevent getting poached by Alabama, no matter what the, I guess the real story behind the scene was, you probably feel like you sort of done something. And in the case of Missouri, I, I sounds like based on some of the stuff you're reading, they are pretty happy to have held on to Kirby Moore. And they do feel like that can be one of the reasons why you know, their over under win total from FanDuel right now is at nine and a half. This is a team that has, you know, some legitimate playoff expectations and a chance to kind of match. It's top 10 status from 2023, kind of doing that in back-to-back years. And holding on to Kirby Moore right now is one of those things that it's being kind of treated as a little bit of a big deal up there in Como. And I just want to take a minute to mention that. And then I'll also mention this in closing for our SEC through here. Uh, the NCAA Rules Committee is considering the possibility of adding a two-minute warning to college football to match what the NFL has. Now, there may be a thousand different reasons to roll your eyes to this. One of those might be the fact that you know, how hard is college football trying to be to be the NFL when most of us kind of like college football because it isn't the NFL? Uh, there's that. But there's also the notion that there really isn't a fan anywhere who's like, you know what we need in this sport? We need a two-minute warning. I mean, even in the discussion about why it's even being considered, fans aren't being mentioned at all. They they have the gall to admit the truth, which is, hey, it's going to be good for commercials. We get more commercials in. That was part of the – the, the, the discussion that came up on this, in addition to some other things too, but they did admit, admit, hey, it's a good place for a commercial break. And listen, I'm not against free markets. I'm not against the TV networks making money on college football. I like the sport being lucrative because in a roundabout way, that offers protection to the sport, at least in some respects. But I think as fans, and in this case, I am just like you, a fan, when you see a decision like this being made, kind of like the, 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 the clock stuff from a year ago, when these decisions are being made solely because it benefits the TV networks and their commercial load and almost completely in, in, willing to ignore whatever fans might want, I think the question you end up asking is, well, if you'll do this for, for TV at the expense of fans, what won't you do for that? And and what wouldn't you be willing to do if the TV networks wanted it, but the fans sort of say, why are we doing this? Why are we taking a break right here at the crucial moment of the game uh, just so we can get another commercial break in. This serves TV, doesn't serve fans, and yet uh, that's seemingly right now all the leadership of college football seems to care about here, which in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It is a business after all. But when there's this little attention being paid but some of the key decisions being made to what actual fans want or what actually benefits fans, I think you'd be right to be just a little bit nervous about where that might head from here. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And I know where we're heading from here, as promised on a uh, wonderful Monday show for us. We did this a couple of weeks ago. It was great. Uh, I love having her on the show anytime we can. Uh, My good friend, Kaylee Manziel, will call this Kaylee's Corner. 
Kaylee, you know, I don't give up control of my show very easily, but for someone like you, I, I do certainly have great and total trust. You get a chance to ask me questions. I have no idea what you're going to ask. This is totally unscripted, as everything else is, but a great way for us to close it out here just to make things fun on a Monday. So, Kaylee, with that said, the floor is yours for today. Let's let's be real about one thing here. You don't like giving up control of anything, not even just your host role, but I saw you eat something different for lunch today for the first time in the history of ever. And I knew that that was a really big thing for you. So thank you for having me back. It is always such a pleasure to get to do any sort of work with you. Uh, In light of the draft coming up, we're going to spend a lot of time here soon talking about the 11 dogs that were invited to the NFL combine. And with that, Brock Bowers cannot be the answer to the question because that is the given obvious answer here. Other than Brock Bowers, you have 10 to choose from. Who will have the best NFL career? That is a really good question. I I think I would probably say, I think I would say Kamari Lasseter on this just because the one thing that Lasseter does well is just lock guys down, right? And that's never going out of style anytime soon in this league, I, I don't believe. And you know, he may get picked apart a little bit because of straight line speeds and things like that. I, I, I don't know how great his combine will necessarily be or necessarily how great his pro day will be. We're conditioned to believe that might be the thing that you know kind of gets him across here with some scouts at least a little bit. But in terms of what a guy can actually do on Sundays, uh, when you see the professionalism with the way that Kamari Laster played during his time at UGA, I'd say that Laster is probably a pretty good bet to have a very good pro career. He's somebody that I think we could definitely see creep into the first round. But after seeing what he did at versus Missouri, I think that's a really good answer on your part. And then my next question. Well, before you ask that, are you kind of like me from the standpoint, like, it's just kind of nice. these. I know you haven't been on one of our Dog Nation cruises yet. You'll be there this year. But like when that name pops up, like I always remember Lewis seeing kind of getting into the back part of the first round uh, in 2022 or, you know, some of the stuff we saw a year ago when those guys get into the first round, they make it among those first 32 picks. You know, Georgia fans do sort of celebrate as if the team won a game. I know I've experienced that firsthand with the Dog Nation cruise. Are you like me that it's sort of fun to watch Georgia fans, you know, kind of celebrating the situation like that, sort of treating the NFL draft as it is a sporting, as if it was a sporting event and as if it was another Georgia win? I I see it more as this strong sense of community. I think that one thing that separates the UGA fan base from other fan bases is that sense of self that everyone has. And it's not just they're a dog for four years and then the support is over. Dog fans are going to continue to support those players in their NFL careers, whether they don't have an NFL career. I feel like it's, it's that constant system of support that dogs fans have that make them so special and so i'm really excited to be able to experience that first night of the draft on the dog nation cruise because i will be there and just be able to celebrate with like-minded people can't wait for it how about your next question okay so you can trade lives for one day with any current member of the uga football team whose place are you taking trade lives so for me it wouldn't be carson beck because here's the thing I've, i've understood is that at a certain point, even in kind of like a make-believe world like this, I'm not cool enough to drive a Lamborghini. I'm not cool enough to, uh, you know, to be a quarterback. You know, the kind of stuff that you kind of have. Like, there's just a certain, like, sort of cool vibe that even in my wildest dreams, I don't quite think I could aspire to. You know, could I beat Tate Ratledge and sort of rock the mullet for a minute or two? Might be able to do that. 
Honestly, I got a ton of respect for Malachi Starks. I wouldn't mind being Starks. That seems like it's a, probably a pretty good thing to be. So for me, I'd probably go along the lines of a Starks, maybe a Ratledge. Uh, but I, the one thing I know, Kaylee, for a fact is is that and that's one of the great things about you know getting a little bit older. I'm obviously a good bit older than you are. You know, getting a little bit older. You get a little bit more self-aware, and you sort of realize you're never going to be as cool as you want to be. I am not Lambo cool. I am not QB1 cool. I am just not cool that way. And so, therefore, sort of giving up any aspirations of being that way, even in my dreams, I'd say that's probably a pretty good place to be in life when you finally just sort of let go of all that. I could definitely see the Tate Ratledge comparison because I feel like he's got that good old country boy heart. Kind of like you do, but also, too, he's the host of Real Talk. That's right. He so has his own show. following in your footsteps. That's exactly right. He has. A, do you think I could? Do you think I have enough hair? Do you think I could get the mullet thing going? I probably got a little bit more hair in the front than I do in the back. So I don't know if I could get the full mullet thing going. I sort of have just um, enough hair to give me enough cover right now. Maybe with a little less hairspray, we can make it work. I got to use the hairspray to sort of keep in place. All right, Kaylee, what else you got? Um, actually, I just had two for you, so we'll we will end on this. Yeah. Uh, I had a, a few questions to throw out there, but I think the one that I wanted to go with was you are spending some off time next week. That's right. What would be your ideal off day? So for me, and obviously this just rolls into just a perfect, just a little perfect on brand here i do love you know perfect day coke okay but i just love any kind of like beach situation like that right it's like i you know i love you know warm weather sunshine i am not built for cold you know we have that the little you know cold snap around here uh like we've had like some of the last you know few weeks i can't stand that i, I don't want to wear 17 different layers i don't want to dig out of the snow like the people up north do i want to beat the beach maybe one of these days i'll kind of you know like nick saban kind of moved to jupiter florida i don't ever want to retire but eventually, I wouldn't mind sort of parking myself on some beach somewhere. That kind of reminds me of Perfect Day Coco Cay and just sort of plopping my feet in the water and having a having a seat right there and just sort of enjoying life and soaking up in as much sunshine as I possibly can. So I am very much a beach person. So anything beach-related – I'm actually not going to the beach next week. But uh, any sort of uh, – it's not quite warm enough. But any sort of like beach situation, that's pretty much where I'm going to be at my happiest. How about for you? What would your answer be? Uh, I think I'm well, uh, actually, no, um, probably doing absolutely nothing, having yeah. nothing on the agenda, nothing in my planner, no phone calls, no emails, no meetings. But you're a little bit of a beach. Girl. You're you're a beach girl, though, right? I'm more of an I sunburn really bad. Oh, okay. like not normal bad. I mean, it's bad, bad. So as much as I like going to the beach, I don't think the beach likes me very much. So I'm definitely an activity-based person. Like I, my perfect off day would probably be spent doing some sort of new activity or having a new experience or trying some sort of new food. But like I said, I love the beach, but the beach does not love me. So I probably wouldn't spend my day off there. Well, the beach may not love you, but we are certainly big fans of yours here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window in Door of Georgia. Fun edition of Kaylee's Corner and look, something we'll look forward to doing again in the very near future. Speaking of fun, golden shoe today. A lot of you sent this to me. Our friends over at the UGA Barstool account had this. Uh, CJ Stroud. The former Ohio State quarterback was on some podcast going back and forth with Florida guy. Uh, was that Marco Wilson's dad that he was doing that with? Uh, um, honestly, I'm not 100% sure. But the point is, is uh, 
Stroud was giving him a hard time about kind of touting Florida at a degree to which Stroud did not think it was appropriate. It's like, it sounds like you went to Alabama the way you're talking about Florida. It's a funny video. Go check out the UGA Barstool account. You can uh, see more of that. Pretty uh, pretty funny stuff. And uh, obviously, C.J. Stroud riding high right now after a very good year with the uh, Houston Texans. In fact, so much so, you kind of wonder, how come Ryan Day couldn't do more with him in college there? So uh, we'll give uh, C.J. Stroud a golden shoe for making fun of Florida. That's always a great way to get right to the front of the line. And speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about our Gator hater updater? Uh, you're looking at tw- uh, 1,999 days since uh, Florida's beaten Georgia. We love watching that number keeping on going up and up and up. And we'll come back and do all of this with you again tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to talking to you then.